say something? Something. Okay, so Discord, do you hear us now? A-Town. A-Town. <laughs> oh, wait, I'll hear me. I heard me say that. Wait, what? And that. And that. You're hearing yourself? Yes, very, very faintly. And they're saying they're not hearing. What do you mean, no, not? Oh, no, they're not hearing us at all. Okay. Wait, how could how did they hear you ask? Because I hear posted you? in the chat. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, how did you hear me ask you if... <laughs> <laughs> it's like that thing we do we used to do this a lot like can you hear me oh wait if you can't hear me you don't hear me asking you can you hear me <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into it while i work on this and see because i when i do the test if you say something you should be doubled so i say something so yes if i well, say something all right so if, if if you go into discord what you can do is um do the audio test to hear. And so what I'm hearing in my headphones in the Discord audio test is what they should be hearing. And that was me and two of you because I heard you once because I should hear you and then second time because they should hear you. Because the device you're using, they should hear us. Are you possibly muted in Discord though? Like in the Mm -hmm. channel? I don't know how Discord works. I'm just stabbing in the dark. I will check that. And I will have discord installed next week so that you don't have to try to manage the chat as much by yourself because you're already doing the engineering i thought about that earlier today and then i didn't remember to come back to it because i was doing a bunch of audio tests i'll Mm -hmm. tell you about what i broke well how about you tell me about what you broke while i do discord well we will start with my setup for this week and uh what's going on so i am down in talladega and done my first three days here in the training program for blind enterprise and it's going okay mm-hmm. i'll talk about that a little bit later on down the line somewhere uh, not much to really share this week just kind of learning how the machines work and all that sort of stuff so the real work kind of starts for me on monday as far as that program goes uh actually i will come back to that later on in the show to tell you about a thing i'm probably going to build real quick but let's talk about my setup so first of all, everybody who knows me well, at least, knows that I am a proponent of the internet. I love the internet. I know everybody likes the internet, but I love the internet because it typically allows you to work from anywhere as long as you have a decent connection. Right. So I have realized a few things since being here. Uh, number one, their Wi-Fi sucks uh, <laughs> everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, they are using ubiquity gear, so it's like, you know, maybe I should go help them with their deployment or something like they need to fix that uh but my setup was going to be i was going to be on the wi-fi that's in the dorm building that i'm staying on because i have been actually using that wi-fi for the past couple of days while i'm here in the dorm building and it's been reasonably okay like i've done a couple of things in at guys you know doing some getting my computer set up all of that sort of stuff because i foolishly wiped my computer the day before new year's (laughs) so new year's eve now to put this in context, I was leaving Tuesday to come here. Well, didn't do much of anything about it on Monday, New Year's Day. Um, and so, yeah, I got down here with basically a clean machine um, and had to do a lot of, like I literally just set up Audio Hijack today. Uh, if that, you know, rolling Meeple stuff just got installed today. Although I did get a nice piece of content out of that setup. So you know, there's that. That probably wouldn't have happened if I'd have done it at home. 
Uh, if it gives you any indication, launch bar did not get installed until Thursday night. Uh, text expander is installed, but not configured. So mm-hmm. I keep typing shortcuts and they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there with text, text expander. It's interesting. You're not there where you're typing stuff and it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. I, I, I have to, so, I'm still at the stage where I need to remind myself, oh yeah, there's a shortcut for that. I don't know why I'm there. So here are the snippets. You, you, you are there in one area, but you probably, you don't do this anymore. So you're not there uh, with this. So the, well, yes, you are. Cause you have to deal with some of the shipping emails. Well, yeah. Yeah. I do. Well, the like AT I do guy it. snippets. Yeah, yeah. AT guy snippets are the ones that screwed me up the past two days. Like the oh, first yeah. time it caught me, I was like, I can't stop. Cause I need to go in and just get this person's license sent to them. And then it happened again today because we had another license purchase. So, uh, you got to get that set up. I'll do that tomorrow. Uh, it's no no big deal. That's when you're right. That's when it hits me because I go to do something that I'm like, okay, that should take me like 20 seconds because I it, it's not that long. And then I'm like, oh, oh no, I uh-huh. got to go yep. find the template, <laughs> fill out this yep. information, copy this. And I'm like, ah, yep, that's exactly what happened to me yesterday and today. Those, so. those emails that I get that say saved five minutes this week, saved ten minutes this week, uh, don't seem like a lot, but. It's kind of a pain when you go to it, use it. It makes a difference when you have to go. It, you realize how that time kind of adds up. Like oh, yeah. we get several of those license orders, for example, during the week uh, without text expander. That's me going to this template several times a week to copy it and, well, put their number in and copy the whole thing, paste it in. Like, whereas, you know, it's a lot quicker the other way. <laughs> so those fillable snippets when I'm doing podcasts. Oh, man. Those, <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't have a lot of those that I've been relying on as much lately, so I don't miss those. But, yeah, there, there's going to be something, you know, I haven't started setting up local WordPress environments yet. So uh, that'll be another spot. It'll hit me. But my setup here, as I've been, so I started out the week using my iPhone as a hotspot. And I think I mentioned, you know, on a prior show that this is what I planned on doing to ensure reliable Wi-Fi because I don't want Mike knows I really don't like using other people's Wi-Fi for the reasons that typically is crappy. And also, I have no idea what they're doing mm. on their network. So, yep. you know, I'm, I'm always now my computer does not accept random incoming connections. Uh, that's a firewall setting just natively in the Mac. So uh, everybody should probably have that on because what it prevents is random stuff trying to connect to your computer. If you initiate a connection and then it needs to talk back to your computer, it'll work fine. You're not going to notice anything. Uh, but it does prevent random, you know, people from being like, oh, let me poke around and see what music you have on your hard drive because you're <laughs> sharing your iTunes library or whatever. So I spent quite a bit of time using my hotspot uh, this week. And one thing I discovered is while it's nice that I don't have to jump through the hoops of picking up my phone, going to settings, turning on my hotspot because it just shows up for me because, you know, both devices are signed into the same iCloud account. It still kind of is terrible because with the hotspot on the iPhone, I connected to it. I actually went into settings once I was connected to it one day and said, always join this network when available and still, you know, reliably, which I need to remember if my computer goes to sleep, uh, it disconnects. And when it wakes up, it does not automatically reconnect. So the number of times I've had to hit the shortcut VO shift O to go to, uh, 
uh, what is it called, control center, and then, you know, press the command to get the shortcut menu up so I can go to the Wi-Fi list and then select my network, it's ridiculous. Like, I really should probably automate it at this point is the way I feel. Just how many times I've had to do it, I should just automate it. So that brings us to today. So I had taken my microphone and stuff out and just let me back up and tell you what I brought with me because I don't think everybody knows. Mike knows probably what I brought if he remembers, but I don't think the listeners know. So what I brought with me is the Portcaster. I brought my Beta 87A because I really like the way I sound on this microphone. I also brought my Audio-Technica USB mic just as a backup, uh, just in case. But the idea was to use the Portcaster as a audio interface and use my Beta 87A. And I also today, while I was kind of testing to make sure stuff worked and all of that, set up a way for me to run audio out of the headphone jack of the MacBook into the TRRS connection of the uh, Portcaster so I could record Michael as well as a backup to the backup to the backup, right? <laughs> this is the idea here because I'm a little nuts about backups. And I was like, well, Mike might forget to start Audio Hijack or something. And we have a drop and then we don't have anything. Oh, man. And now somebody's calling me. <laughs> so I will update the recording people because I'm guessing no one on Discord is going to be hearing anything unless they realize that I jumped over to the general channel because I don't have proper permissions to broadcast in the permit in the other room that it puts us in the presentations room. I'm not sure why that is. Ah. It said that I was muted. So, this is a learning experience, and sometimes, I mean, I guess what I need to do, because it says here, missing permission. This is, and accessibility. All right. When I hit the missing permissions button, it says, are you sure, and then goes away. So. This is a learning experience, though. Yep, this is definitely a learning experience, uh, for sure. So my plan was, okay, the Wi-Fi has been pretty solid here in the dorm, so I will just use that and connect to Mike, and I'll use the portcaster and do all of those things that I mentioned. And we get in here, and we're talking, and Mike disappears. And then he sends me a message that, hey, you disappeared. So I reload. Okay. We're back. Everything's working fine. And then we get disconnected again. Like I'm still, everything on my end looks like it's still working. And on Michael's end, I think you saw that I had left. Yeah. Uh, it said, uh, you went away. Cause that's what it says when, when you leave. Okay. So I said, okay, is possibly the portcaster. Let me just take the portcaster out of the mix because that's one thing that's new. I know the Wi-Fi is also new too, but I was like, well, let me go with what I think the issue could be because I'm trying to do some weird routing with virtual devices and I did, didn't test all of that before we started. So let's move that out of the way, plug in the USB mic. Okay, plug in the USB mic. We're talking, chatting along, getting ready to start the show and then we get disconnected again. I was like, oh, okay, so it's definitely the Wi-Fi. Let me switch over to my hotspot. Uh, so I switched over to my hotspot and reconnected and everything's working fine. And then I was like, I really hate the way I sound on this audio technical. I want to go back to my, <laughs> my beta 87A because I sounded more muffled. I sounded doler, uh, on that microphone. It would have been fine to do the show, but Mark's like, well, you got a little time because I'm trying to figure out this discord thing and why it's not working. So I switched everything back to the portcaster minus sending Mike's audio into the portcaster because I had 
thrown that cable on the bed and I wasn't going to get up to get it. So now I am using the setup that I wanted to use essentially, which is the Beta 87A going into the portcaster. The portcaster sent an audio over USB into the Mac and Mike hears me over clean feed just fine. Yep. And I hear Mike in my headphones just fine. And I hear myself and I sound very good. So and I I'm think happy. Discord hears everyone too. That came down to just permission issues on the Discord side. And uh, the way I learned about that was I said, huh, wait a minute. I don't hear a second copy of me and Demasi very faintly in my headphones. That's strange because I always have the live stream on in the background. So I know that there's audio going out to the live stream. And if I need to hear what's going out, I can hear it. Um, and so I just didn't have it loaded in Safari. Now it's loaded. I feel more comfortable because I know that there's audio going somewhere. And that made me look in Discord a little more. And I realized, oh, it says you don't have permission to unmute in this channel. So I just dropped Michael a DM to ask him if he comes into general, which theoretically could uh, have people come in on and talk over me, which I don't care because what I'm going to do is mute Discord in my headphones so it's not distracting to me. And I don't have to worry about that. Oh shit, I can't. How do you mute an application that doesn't show up in sound source because it hasn't played sounds? Not that I'm a uh well actually yes, possibly. Hold on. Let me do a quick check to make sure I'm telling you right. So if you select so if you go down to add favorite uh-huh. and then select application, you can pick from just your list of applications installed on them. Uh, and just pin that okay. And then just pin it, yep. 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 Gotcha. That's what I needed. So what I was saying is that way I can go in and mute Discord right now. So that way if someone comes into general, because right now I'm just using the general channel, since now I hear myself in the in Safari faintly, but now Discord is muted. So if someone comes into Discord, they're not going to distract me, and I don't have to mess with permission. Uh, Michael can, can clean that up if he needs to. <laughs> yep. So that's, you know. Technically working. Figure out yeah. a, another solution. Very, very and, oh, yep. and I also added telephone to my audio hijack session and mapped the same mapping as Edge. My plan was to keep my markers there and then or keep Edge open and then call you if I had to with telephone and just pull that in <laughs> as the backup recording and then just well, if I needed it or use your recording, you know. Oh man! Look, man, you got to hack it together. Uh Got to, got to make (laughs) it work. Got to make it work. So basically, what I have figured out is that the Wi-Fi is the issue here. So I'm on hotspot now. I think what I will do is continue working on this Wi-Fi when I'm not trying to record a show in clean feed. Uh, But go to my hotspot. Any other, and that's my backup. Anytime, anytime the network is loading slow or pages are loading slow, I just go to the hotspot. Like it is, it's much much faster. Uh, I have thought about, and I will continue thinking about and investigating. Maybe getting a. I don't want to go like to AT and T and buy a hotspot device from them. What I'm thinking about is any kind of device I could get, or even a a secondary dedicated phone. Which like I have a Pixel Five over here on the desk. Uh, mm. I thought I have a Pixel Eight, but there's no Pixel Eight Pro. You know. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, not for you, sir. Uh, so what I may do is purchase from one of these companies that resells like just bundles of data because I don't want a recurring payment, uh, for hotspot data, but to give me a alternative or backup in case I reach some 
hence known, hence unknown to me at this point, uh, cap on my hotspot usage on my uh, visible plan, which dare you say is unlimited tethering, but you know, we'll see. Uh, I have a backup, and I would rather go with AT and T. I think probably has the this, the, the the other good coverage now here. T Mobile is kind of terrible from what I can see. Uh, so, and I'm already on Verizon's tower. So let's have a alternative solution because I can't work if I don't have the internet. That's essentially what it comes down to. Yeah, uh, can't record a show, can't do any other work either. So, gotta have decent internet. Uh, this stand I bought is a travel, well, it's a portable stand. It's a desktop stand with a heavy weighted base and just a, uh, arm that goes, you know, a pole that goes up. But on the end, it has an adjustable arm that you can swivel. It has a little screw that you unscrew to loosen and you can have it pointed straight up or whatever. Uh, that's working out well based on the height of the desk that I'm sitting at and the height of the chair that I'm sitting in, uh, is actually working out quite well. Uh, my original idea of doing something wasn't going to work, first of all, because I left a critical piece of that hacked together set up at the house. Uh, so I didn't have a choice but to use the desktop stand, but it's actually working out fairly well. So uh, good deal. It was only 30 bucks. So good investment, it turns out. Sounds like it was worth it there. And hey, look, I think everything is working well now. And yeah, man. we're Just only to get the 40 internet. minutes so, into the show. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, look, man, it's technically working. Sometimes we got to figure this stuff out on the fly. And I'm glad we did because I introduced someone to Todoist this week. I feel like mission was accomplished right there. Do you hear any static? Yes, I do hear that. And it's gone now. Yep. I don't like that noise. <laughs> nope. I instantly grabbed my microphone cable, actually, because I thought it was me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, a um, little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You were saying you introduced someone to to-do-ist. Oh, to, to-do-ist. And that was like my mission of the week. See, that was going to be my fun thing. You know, saying that my mission is is to introduce people to Todoist. And uh, I started using do. And I had a do reminder that says talk to Demasi about do. But those were the only two things that I had to mention to you today. So I'm glad we kind of had technical issues. Because A, this will be a fun editing project. Thank you, Markers and Clean Feed. And B, it was a learning experience. Absolutely a learning experience. We're I definitely call learned this it. Learning experience. Yeah, man. Listen, you, you, you learning, learning on the job, man. Learning on the job because we still got to get the show out to people. Yep. Uh, but yeah. So other than that, um, there's one thing I want to briefly touch on. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I don't have any more background than what I heard in security now, and it was a very deep episode. So, but apparently. And people who listen to the DM series may recall I said something along these lines several years ago in the DM series, which was, what if it turned, if it turns out that Apple, uh, is actually working with a backdoor for the NSA or something like we're all hosed anyway, Mm -hmm. something along those lines, right? Yep. So what has come out, and I'm not sure how, how broadly this news is being reported, and even if it is, how accurate the information is. But essentially, it was discovered that one of the hacks that has been, one of the breaches that has been happening on iPhone for a couple of years now is due to what appears to be a backdoor 
built into the silicone of the Apple A series chip that go into the phone. And this goes back to the A12 all the way up through the A16. And it's not an easy thing to get to. In fact, honestly, only, only the people, cause I can't say Apple did this, right? Is, is the simplest answer is Apple knew about this. They built it in purposely and they purposely set it up the way that they did so that they would have access. But, and without them sharing the information with somebody else, they shouldn't have been able to get there. Uh, so I'll give some bare bones of how it worked. Essentially, when when you're dealing with hardware, you're dealing with the silicone that actually powers a device, the chips that power the device. Uh, you have your CPU cores and you have your GPU cores. There was a, and basically you point in memory to where you want to go. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep down that path because one, it's a little over my head. <laughs> and it's very, very technical. But right. essentially... You know, you, you have to be able to talk. The software has to be able to talk to the hardware is, is, is how this comes in. And in this case, there was a previously unknown, like it wasn't documented anywhere. What, uh, appears to be an empty, like there was nothing in the system. There was no software from Apple using this, this portion of the GPU at all for anything. Like it was not being used completely untouched. But there was a way to give that GPU portion that was being unused some instructions if, one, you knew it existed, and two, you had a hash, which was a 256-character encryption key to Mm -hmm. verify your instructions. So on the off chance somebody managed to discover that this was there, you still couldn't have gotten a command to work with it unless you had this hash to encrypt your to basically sign your command to say this is authentic right Right. it's sort of like authenticate do it right or right you know so in a nutshell that's kind of how that worked uh turns out that there's been a hack going around or a breach going around that was uh chaining together several breaches so it wasn't just this simple thing they had to leverage several vulnerabilities uh, to get to the level where they could issue that command, but they were able to issue that command with it being signed, which was giving them full, root, basically root access to the iPhone and able to remove the protection. So just like Mac OS has system integrity protection, right? Mm-hmm. And the last few versions of Mac OS, our volumes are basically split up. We have user volume, which is where our data goes. And then there's the software volume that actually has the Mac OS install. We do not have the ability to change that volume that has the uh, operating system on it. Now in Finder, it just looks all like one volume, but under the hood, there's two. There's the software. We can't edit that. We can't touch that. The only way anything can run inside of that space is it has to be signed by Apple. And, you know, so that's when you do an update. Basically, it blows away your old volume, not necessarily in that way, but let's just use it for this example. It deletes the old, well, drops in the new volume and then swaps it in with the updated software. And because it's signed, it's able to run. But we can't go edit that. Like we can't hack around in some of the low level files like you could in previous versions of Mac OS. Right. So that also exists on the iPhone or iOS, uh, on the A series chips. So this is a thing that is there. It's actually even more locked down on iOS on the A series chips just because of the nature of the software there. Uh, it doesn't have to be as open as macOS does. macOS still allows us to run unsigned software. Essentially on iPhone, you cannot run unsigned software. Well, with this backdoor, cause that's what it is. This is the real you know, definition of a backdoor. There is something intentionally put in 
with some protections on, even if someone manages to discover this thing, um, you still wouldn't be able to use it without having this hash key to to sign your command to tell it, hey, let me do the thing, do, do the command I just sent you. So this is a actual backdoor. So with this backdoor, if you're able to make use of it, you could disable basically the system integrity protection. Uh, it's not exactly what it's called on right. that level, but that's what it is essentially, which means now you have complete root access to everything on the phone. So you're able to do whatever you want to do at that point. You are root. You are the super user. Uh, God mode for you gamers out there. It is all over, man. Game over at that point. And this was discovered because Kaspersky, uh, which is a company. The antivirus software, right? Yep. That company. Yep. They're also security researchers. Well, somebody got this software on, got this, used some other breaches to get this hack into their phone and managed to, to, you know, get into their phones. And, you know, basically again, like I said, it was two, three different vulnerabilities that were put together. So one got you into the phone, one got you, uh, the ability to run some other code, which then gave them the ability to run the signed command code to say, hey, unlock the entire phone. Give me God mode. Right. So I had to chain those three things together, which is not easy to do. Like, that's very, very sophisticated uh, attack. And, well, they chose to use it on the guys from Kaspersky. And, well, they're security researchers. (laughs) You probably don't want to do that because when they figure out something's on their device that ain't supposed to be there, that's when they start tracing stuff down. And that's Uh the reason we know this exists because they have been spending like the past year or so figuring out how the software got there, what it was doing, and all of that. Now, Wow. Uh, Security Now? Is that a podcast you'd listen to? Because... Yep, that is that, a podcast. Yeah. This first episode of 2024, is, he spent pretty much the entire show. Like, they did a couple of little small, you know, updates or whatever at the beginning, but then he spent pretty much, I would say, the bulk of however long that show was, 90% of it was explaining how they discovered this, what it was doing, and then him breaking it down and, and kind of simplifying it so you really understood what was happening. So, uh, full so, transparency, this week's episode will be my first ever Security Now episode. That I listened to. So <laughs> now that I have it, I'm going to go listen to it because uh, that's wow. Now, Apple has patched this in a way so that the whoever had access to this, because what it looks like is that the 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 hash, the the signed uh, hash that they were using to, to verify the command that you were sending to this unused portion of the GPU got out and my feeling is kind of in line with Steve Gibson's, which is this could not have gotten out without somebody, without the people, a person who was aware of it and knew about it, giving the information to somebody. This is not something you're going to, you know, back your way into or hack around for 300 hours and figure it out. Like you had to have been given the information. Gotcha. Now, like I said, Occam's razor, which is, you know, the simplest answer is usually right says Apple built this into their chip for whatever reason. Could be because they were given an NSA letter and not, you know, a FISA court here in the U.S. signed off on this for the NSA to issue a national security letter to Apple that says you have to give us away into your phone and you cannot tell anybody anything about it. This is a possibility. This is what I was alluding to several years ago when I was like, if it turns out they're doing it, we're all hosed anyway. There's nothing we can do. Now, we don't know this. We don't know anything. At this point, at least to my knowledge, we don't know anything about why this was there. Uh, but the simplest answer is that Apple put it there 
And somehow the key got away from people. This is why I have always said there is no secure way to give law enforcement a backdoor, because once you give people a backdoor, that means there is a key to unlock said backdoor. And, well, you give a person a key, they can copy the key or they can share it with somebody else. Hey, I have a key to get into the break room. Oh, Mike, you need to get in the break room. Here's the key real quick. Right. This happens. You cannot trust people to keep secrets. This is what it basically comes down to. Now, there is a possibility. Well, there's, you know, it, it, the possibility does exist that this was done without Apple's knowledge and they, you know, let's say they designed their chips, they send it off to be fabricated and somewhere in the chain of their chips being designed and fabricated and, and all of that and put in the phones that there's a upstream somebody that got to a person to do this. Right. It is possible that Apple as a whole is not aware of this. There are several different options. Uh, you know, and the conspiracies are all out there. You know, Apple could be unaware and maybe the NSA or somebody else got to a specific engineer that had the ability to engineer this and, and ensure that nobody saw it. It's possible that somebody at the, you know, I keep saying the NSA just because it's, it's an easy one to name. It's what could people be understand. Any, yeah. Could be any governmental aid. This has to be a government involved though it cannot this is not you know unless it's elon Musk. he probably has enough money to throw at somebody to make them do it <laughs> but you know it has to be somebody on that level right they they could have gotten to an apple engineer they could have gotten to somebody in the supply chain after apple fabricate you know designs their chips and the testing is done and in the process at tmc uh is it tmc tsmc i think uh, Taiwanese Semiconductor Manufacturing, TSC. Eh, that don't sound right. TSMC? Whatever. That could be right. Anyway, the people who manufacture Apple's chips, because they don't make them in-house, they design them and then they send them out to a fab to actually be built uh, or created. So could be they got to somebody in the supply chain to do this. Uh, that That is possible. But again, to me, the simplest answer is that, you know, Apple knew about it. They did it. And they did it and they also tried to protect it in case somebody ever discovered it that, oh, you still have to have this key. Otherwise, you can't unlock the door. And they gave the key to whomever forced them to do it. Now, I nobody knows why. We may never know why, because, again, you know, national security letters here in the U.S. are pretty serious. If you get one, you are shut up like there's no talking. Yeah. You talking means the government drops you in a hole somewhere and forgets you were there. Like, I'm just being serious. Like, I'm not even trying to be funny. No. You know, if I get a national security letter about something, I cannot tell you I got it. Um, you know, people have tried to, companies, companies, not people, because it's not really people that get these too often. Companies have gotten, you know, tried to get slick a few years ago when this really became a thing and they would have up on their page. We have not received any national security letter. So if they ever took that down off their, you know, about page or whatever, uh-huh. then you would know they got one. Uh, I don't know if that's still a thing. It seems like to me, I, I put myself in the position of the, the Pfizer course and those are secret course that nobody knows what they discussed and what they determined. They just, you know, a government agency such as the FBI, NSA, CIA, whoever uh, goes to them and says, we need this thing. And it's kind of like going to, you know, the police going to a judge for a warrant, except they're going to the judges for the ability to issue a, in a, you know, a national security letter to a individual or company to force them to hand over some information that they otherwise wouldn't give you or force them to do something they otherwise wouldn't do and also keep their mouth closed about it. 
So Pfizer, of course, make a decision. We, the public here in the U.S., do not ever know unless there's a leak, unless somebody comes out and starts talking. And you see what happens to people who start talking. They go to jail. So it is a real thing. This could have happened to Apple. We don't know. I wanted to mention it. Now, the actual, the fact that this key got out and was being used maliciously, and I say People say maliciously. I'm not so sure it was being used maliciously because it could have been the NSA was using it. And I keep saying the NSA, I'm not blaming them. I'm just using that as a shortcut uh, because they are one of the agencies that I feel like would be involved in doing this. Uh, you know, could also be geospatial, but, you know, we don't talk about them. Uh, I don't look. I'm, I'm sticking to the NSA because they've been in trouble before. We know their name. I'm not mentioning nobody else because I don't want them coming after me. And I ain't saying the NSA did it. It's just a, it's a placeholder. Think about it like that. Left brace, left brace, NSA, right brace, right brace. <laughs> <laughs> it's your, it's your variable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's your variable here, right? Uh, it could be possible that they were issued an NSA letter or a national security letter, excuse me. And they had to do what they were doing. And the government agency that issued the letter and forced them to put this into their, their, their hardware was using this. And the people that have been getting touched by this breach, having the breach used against them, uh, were because this was an actual government operation. And they just reached too far and went into Kapersky. And these people was like, Hey, what the hell is going on? And then they spent the past couple of years figuring out why and how this got on their phones. They just got a little loose with it. Uh, that's one possibility. That's honestly what I think happened, but I'm just guessing. Now, it's also possible that somebody gave this key away, either intentionally or unintentionally. You know, look at Eric Snowden. We see how good our government is, at least, at keeping secrets. Like, Eric Snowden walked out of there with a whole bunch of stuff, and he was a contractor. He wasn't even an actual employee of the NSA. He was a contractor. Like, that shouldn't even have been possible what he did, but he did it. So, could have been one of those scenarios, too. And they handed it over to somebody else that gave them a billion dollars, and now they're happily chilling on their island using their black phone, and they're not touching anything iOS because they know about it. And these people got over zealous and went after the Kaspersky people. And again, that's how it was been discovered. And needless to say, however it was being used, whether maliciously or intentionally as a part of an operation, uh, they use it on the wrong people. We now know it exists. Apple has now patched it. Uh, and they patched it in 16.6 point something or whatever. Does not mean there's not a backdoor anymore. It just means that one is gone. And that's unfortunately the down, the, the, the side effects here for me, at least is I, as a customer shall never trust Apple as much as I used to before. And I never fully trusted them because as I said, I pointed this out some years ago, they could be working with NSA on the low and we don't know about it. We're all hosed. Uh, I wasn't being entirely funny when I said it, I said it as a joke, but I wouldn't be entirely funny, but I'm also a very paranoid individual. But with the fact that we now know for sure there was something there, I don't care how it got there. The fact is you did it. Uh, and I understand being compelled to do so and not being able to resist, etc. Whether it was the United States government, the Israeli government, the UK government, doesn't matter. Could have been the Chinese. We're not in, they're not in Russia anymore. So, you know, probably not the Russians. Uh, but the fact is they did it. So they're thumping about privacy and security is um sorry mike it's a bunch of issues at this point to me 
And the reason, and again, I understand why they may have had to do it, but it comes down to a fact you have lost a, you have lost a ton of trust from me as a customer. Not just you as a customer, but all of the customers, like anyone who pays attention and anyone who pays attention to this. And even the people who maybe don't, if this gets reported and reported in the right way, like, listen, I'm not angry. I'm not going to throw my iPhone in the trash. None of that. Because again, like first, what else am I going to do? I'm going to go to Android for all I know. For all we know, Google is in the same position and it just hasn't been. You might as well just make that assumption at this rate. Like exactly. That's the thing. Like assume your, your, assume your phone is not secure. Right. And, you know, listen, Gibson, Steve Gibson from Security Now has said this many times. And, you know, I, I, I'm not in disagreement with him. If you really want something to be secret, go out in the middle of a field, put a blanket over your head, naked with the person that you want to tell the secret to and tell it to them there, because it's the only way you can be guaranteed that you two people are the only two people who know what was said. But. I just wanted to put that out there, uh, not so much to beat up on Apple or anything like that, but just to at least try to put some reasonable context around what may be getting reported. I don't follow the news as closely as I should, uh, first off, so I don't know if the wider media is reporting this or not, and if they are, a lot of them probably are getting it wrong, so I just wanted right. to put some sort of context around the situation. Uh, again, Assume that this is being done to Apple. Assume that it's still being done to them. Assume it's being done to Google and Android and it's being done to Microsoft. Uh, just make the assumption now. Like all it's done for me is just really taken off the fact that, oh, okay, well, you know, Apple wouldn't, you know, capitulate to this, but you know, tend to forget about those FISA courts here in the U.S. And again, Apple always says this. We have to obey the laws of the countries that we do business in. Be aware of that. So whether it was the U.S. or another country, we don't know. I just know the mechanisms that exist in the United States that could have allowed this to be done to Apple. Uh, and again, I could be completely wrong. And Apple is sitting over there as stunned as I was when I started hearing this. It was like, what? We did what to what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. But Occam's Razor says, you know. Apple as controlling as they are about their hardware and software, uh, there's no way they, they didn't know about it. That's the simplest answer for me. And if they didn't know about it, that says that tells a whole nother story about Apple too. Like, uh huh. It means you ain't as tight on your stuff as you should be, yep. man. So, well, want to talk about GitHub? Weird, oh, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about GitHub. I, I want to throw one more thought in there because we're we're kind of on the conspiracy. You know, it's going to start conspiracies in people's minds anyway. Here's one thought I did have. This could have gotten away from Apple because the wrong somebody got fired and they were feeling pissed about it. And so they shared the key. Could be this was never, ever used until that person gave away the key, whomever, and for whatever reason they did. Perhaps Apple did this to make a point. I don't really believe that. But, hey, here's an alternative you know, listen, at one point I want to be a lawyer, right? So I'm just offering up an alternative. <laughs> Given this was one of, yeah, you know, here's a different argument, right? You know, much like sometimes you know somebody is about to make a mistake and you try to tell them that if you do the thing that you want to do here, you're going to do this. This is going to be the result of you taking the action that you want to take right now. This is going to be the result. And they don't listen and they insist on that they're right and they're going to do this. Well, governments, not just ours have been insisting that there are ways, there are secure ways to give law enforcement access to a back door so that they can get into criminals' phones when they arrest them and they don't have a way into their phone because they don't have to give you their password because that's self-incrimination here in the U.S. 
perhaps Apple did this and just kept letting it sit there from the A12 on forward to and until this type of situation happened. Oh, look, the key got out. They didn't do it on purpose. Like they didn't throw the key out there on 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 you know Mastodon or something. But you know the key got out, right? Because we want to show you this is the result of what you've been asking for. Mm. Nobody's safe now. You're not safe because guess what? The key got away, Mister uh, Congressman or Miss Senator, uh, Madam Senator. Uh, this is the result. Now you're not even safe. Not just the criminals, but not even you because the key got away because you know what? Somebody gave it away. Now, I don't believe that at all, but I'm just tossing, tossing out an alternative, man. <laughs> man, that would make a good drama, though. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Like, Yeah, yeah. There's this one. Yeah, yeah. Good dramas. Uh, Apple, if you want that idea uh, for Apple <laughs> TV, I will audio describe it for you if you pay me. Just saying. I don't want to act in it. I don't want to write it, but I'll audio describe it. Listen, if this comes out to be the story that their lawyers spend, like, I want my cut. Because I gave you this idea. You ain't thinking this by yourself. I just made it up. I didn't even make it up. I thought about it while I was like, how could we have gotten here? But at any rate, just wanted to put some context around this thing. Don't panic because the breach that people were using, if it was being used maliciously, has been patched. So nobody's going to reverse engineer it and start beating you up about it. Uh, make sure you do your updates, though. Yeah, do your updates, please. Uh, outside of that, just to put a little you know, reasonable context around it. There's nothing to panic about because honestly, this type of sophisticated attack, I'm not even worried about it from a personal perspective because I don't have anything anybody wants bad enough to go after me like that. Uh, again, we talk about threat. We've talked about threat models before. Look at your threat model. If you're a high profile person, hey, thank you for listening to my show. Appreciate it. Tell your friends. Uh, and maybe you should become a uh, supporter too. Uh, yes. You know, technically working dot show. But for most of us, we don't have to worry about this being because, again, it was very, very sophisticated. It's not a script kitty thing. We're like, oh, if I send you a text message, um, you know, with this, then I take over your phone. Or if I get you to click on a link in an email, I have taken over your computer. Like, it's not that simple. So right. uh, that's that. So GitHub. I'm going to email Tim Cook, though. Okay. You're going to email him a link to your show? No. I'm going to email <laughs> Tim Cook and be like, I just want to know why yeah we the people deserve to know <laughs> github man so github github is owned by microsoft yes yes owned by microsoft has a a gp or an ai like everything else does man those two letters are gonna annoy the heck out of me this year i think just saying anyways um i was watching Taylor do some VS code content today and show you how she goes in and sets up her uh, keystrokes. Did you know there's like over 2,600 keystrokes you can change in VS code? Ooh, that was, that's a lot. Anyways. And she probably wouldn't do it, but I was cooking. So I didn't pay as much attention as I should have, but it's one of those have it playing in the background. Kind of like we encourage you to have technically working your other shows on. And, I thought about this and we're working on some Python stuff with bits and getting a Python course together. One of the things that I think it's important for people to know is how to be comfortable in tools like GitHub. And you and I have talked about GitHub, but I know GitHub as github.com. And I know that that's, I think it's .com, isn't it? Or is it .org? Um, no, it's github.com. Yeah. And, and that's the commercial version of GitHub where I think you can go pay them, but I don't know like what's a branch, what's a commit, what's a, uh, all of these. And so I was thinking today, uh, before we got, uh, 
the beautiful new year gift from the news, uh, we could talk about what's the basics of GitHub that I need to know about if I was going to get into using it to keep track of projects I'm working on. So to start that conversation, we first need to make the distinction between Git, G-I-T, the source control protocol, and GitHub, which is a commercial company that uses Git. Uh, because Git, it, even though it looks like they go together, because GitHub is G-I-T-H-U-B.com uh, for anybody that was spelling G-E-T. That's not going to get you there. I wonder if they bought that, though. Uh because I would have bought it just in case. <laughs> but it appears they did not. So um, Git is a protocol used for, for source control, version control of software. And essentially, in a nutshell, uh, very, very oversimplified. So if you're an expert in Git, uh, one, you're doing better than me. And two, don't get offended by this explanation. But is there a real simple way to explain this? Or at least the best way I know to explain it, which is, Version control is you are keeping track of the changes in software. So if you think about sharing a document with someone, so Google Docs or a Microsoft Word share a document uh, where you are collaborating with someone else on a document, there's a thing called track changes, right? This has been around for a while in, in, in Microsoft Word, and I think also in Google Docs. Pages got a, a little bit more recently. Mm -hmm. But what that allows you to do is go back in history. So let's say you're looking at a version of a document that was last edited today. With track changes turned on in a document, you're able to go back and see the prior saves of the document, right? And see what was changed. So you can see that, you know, yesterday that paragraph said, uh, here forth we will. And today it was saved to change it to, uh, henceforth we shall, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So essentially that's what Git, the source control protocol is doing, except that you're Typically, not always, but usually you're doing this on software, like you're you're doing it on code. Gotcha. Uh, so you would and, and instead of saving, instead of like, you know, working on a word shared word document, collaborating with someone, you would save your document or even if you're, you know, using an app that lets you go back and look at previous saves of your document with Git, uh, you do what's called a commit. So a commit is actually saving the most recent changes to the um, GitHub, to the Git repo, not GitHub, to the Git repo. And so let's go and talk about what a repo is. But essentially, that's source control. You're, you're able to track the changes that were made over, over a time. And there's good ways to commit your code, and there are bad ways to commit your code. A uh, good way to commit your code would be you're working on a specific thing and you make the changes necessary for that thing to work you test it it works you commit that code because it's all related to one thing so to put that in in better terms let's say i'm trying to let's say i'm working on a wordpress plugin and i am getting a php error uh, related to a deprecated function in wordpress and i want to fix that error right Mm -hmm. So I would go in and work on my code to fix that error. Once I was able to test and make sure that that error was no longer happening, I would then make that commit with it being, you know, the commit message telling you 
what I did, which was fix the PHP deprecation by switching from that function call to this function call, basically, right? That's a good way to commit your code. A bad way to commit your code, and I say this from the perspective of if I have to go back and figure out what I did or if somebody else has to go back and look at what I did. The bad way to handle commits would be, oh, I'm going to fix that PHP error by updating the function call that I'm using. So I'm using a more modern version, not the deprecated uh, function in WordPress. But I'm also going to add a new plugin or an entirely new feature to the plugin. So instead of it just allowing you to log in using your phone number, it also um, gives you the ability to upload a photo too, right? So I've not only fixed a, a error that I was having, but I've also added an entirely new feature and I make that all one commit. Mm-hmm. That's a bad way to do that because there's more code for me to look through if I'm trying to figure out what broke. Now, you could do both of those things I just said, like, you know, fix the PHP deprecation warning and, you know, also add a new feature to your plugin. And then... You could commit that all at one time, which is a bad way. Or if you realize, oh, crap, I hadn't committed this code, you can selectively only commit the changes that were made to files related to the PHP deprecation warning first and then commit adding the new feature. Uh. So you have some flexibility there. But if you get it, that's a that's a bad habit to form. It sometimes happens. It's going to happen to everybody. I don't care how good you start out with your commits. You're going to do it. But you do have the ability to say, I just want to commit uh, these specific changes and it's a little bit more tedious. So once you do it one, t- one or two times, you really develop the habit of trying to do good commits. And if you start off with that in your mind, it won't become that much of an issue. Uh, and also now let's talk about what a repo is again on a very simplified level. A repo is the place that your changes in GitHub are st- or or in Git, excuse me. I keep saying GitHub because that's the next step I'm going to is putting mm-hmm. a repo up on GitHub. But I actually have repos on my computer that are local that are not on anybody's remote server. So you can have a Git repo locally. You always have a Git repo locally if you're working with Git and you're doing it on the command line or whether you're using a GUI app. There is a local repository on your computer. And think of it like the overall a very simple way to think about it for people used to files and folders is there's a folder that is specifically containing all of the files that are related to your GitHub, your Git repo. And, you know, there's going to be a hidden folder unless you're showing hidden folders called .git that will have the uh, database of all of the changes, which is how you're able to go back and look through the history. That repo exists locally. You can also store a copy of that repo on a remote server, which could be GitHub. Or it could be your own private Git repo, uh, Git server, or it could be another public service like Bitbucket or yeah, there's another couple out there. But anyway, so there's that aspect of it. Uh, that's essentially what this is in a, again, a very high level, simplified way of explaining it. Uh, so I'm going to stop now and let you ask questions or so reiterate what you think I said. Yeah, so your repo is the project you're working on, the document, right? Yep. And then Michael also mentioned in the Discord chat because I think we do finally have that figured out that the that that's the re that's also why it's important for branches. You could put a feature on a branch and then commit the changes yep, yep, to yep, that but feature. You're, hold on, hold on. Yeah, but you're going down a path before we need to ah, get there. Okay. 
of it. Yep. Bran- branches are not as important. He's right, but that's not as important as I was using to create a feature as a as an example. Ah, but yeah, gotcha. that is what that's where branches would come in. But on a very simple level, um, the repo is your thing, and the commit uh, is you making those changes to your repo. Yep, you're committing those changes to the database. So again, think about it like you know you're saving. It gets a little weird using this this example. Mm-hmm. But think about it like you're saving changes to the Google Doc, right? You made a change, but I can also go back and look back and see what was in the document before your last change, or two changes before, or three changes back, right? right? Um, and get a, obviously you have to save the text file that you're writing code into. That's that's saving the text file locally to your your hard drive, though. The commit is like you're actually saving these changes and writing them to the database of Git commit of your or your history of changes to Git. So that and the reason is because you, you're able to collaborate on a Git repo. Uh, that's where GitHub comes in at any remote server. But we're talking GitHub. So that's where GitHub comes in at. What you would do with your local repository is what's called a push. So you would, you know, first connect your, you would add a remote server. In this case, it would be GitHub. Uh, depending on your chops, there's a couple of ways of doing this. You could go to GitHub first, log into your account, create the repo that you want to push to, and then add that remote. There's also a way to do that from the command line. Honestly, a lot of times I just go to GitHub and do it because it's quicker and I don't have to remember as much. Uh, once you've added GitHub's remote URL for your repo, so let's say in this case is it will be found on the web at github.com slash Demasi slash my project. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my Git on my local computer. Now for me from terminal, I would do Git remote add and then the URL that it points to, uh, which in my case would be HTTPS slash slash github.com slash Demasi slash my project, right? If you're using a GUI tool, you would essentially do the same thing, but that command would be typed out for you. You just have to put in the URL that you're, the, the URL to the repo that you're adding as a remote uh, source. Then you would do what's called a push. And that would do what, what a push does is takes all of the commit that you have locally and pushes those up to that remote server. So now there is a version both on your local machine and there's a version on GitHub, right? Now, I was very careful to say that this is going to push up your committed files. If you've made changes and not yet committed those, those are not included in your push. Uh So if you're working on the plugin and you fix the deprecation errors and you want to get that out there so that people can, you know, stop seeing these warnings in their, in their admin area. You push that up to GitHub, but you're still working on your feature locally. So you don't, those changes are not, have not yet been committed. Therefore, they will not be pushed up to the, uh, repo. I mean, pushed up to the server on GitHub. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's keep that in mind that you pushed your fixes up to GitHub, but not your f- feature addition right you're still working on that locally so now me or well in this case i'm the one who did this so now michael comes along and i invite him to the repo on github because that's where you would share the code at i would invite you to the repo and then you can check out that repo by doing a git uh git clone is actually what you would do so you would clone that repo to your local computer which is okay. essentially giving you a copy of what's on GitHub down to your computer. From now, the last point, time that you committed to GitHub. From the last time that I pushed to GitHub. Uh, pushed, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So you have the fix for the deprecation warnings in PHP 
but that I you don't just have any down, But you don't have any of the feature stuff that I'm working on because yeah. I haven't pushed that to GitHub yet. So you could go in and start working on another feature. And this is where we, this is where things get strange and it just depends on it. In this example, you have to bring branching in, but I want to not do that at this point because branching can be confusing. Uh, and I don't think it's relevant to the conversation at the moment, but this is where branching actually comes into the situation and to explain branches is like you have a, a history. And as Michael mentioned in the chat, if I wanted to actually work on a feature, I would branch off from where I was. So let's say I've already fixed my PHP warnings. I want to work on a new feature. Okay. I would create a branch, which effectively gives me an exact copy of where things were at the point that I created that branch. Now, and we would call this branch feature and whatever the feature is called. Like at least that's how I would name it. You know, FT hyphen whatever the feature is. Mm-hmm. Or a short name of of whatever the feature is. All of my changes worked on that branch. Don't go back into the main branch until I merge them. Which means again, I could switch branches and go back to the main branch and do some other work and then switch back to the feature branch and do some work, right? You don't oh, want to do that okay. too often because that's how you run into what, what what are known as uh merge conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a thing that's possible. Usually what happens when you're collaborating with someone is they will clone the code or pull your changes because once you clone the repo down to your computer, if I were to push my feature uh once it's completed i commit those files and i push it up to github you would do what's called a pull uh which would be bringing in my new changes because there's now new stuff on the server you could pull that in uh so now you have the up-to-date complete up-to-date software or complete up-to-date uh package of files in your local repo uh so before you work on a project, it's best to do a pull from the server to make sure you have the latest version in case someone else pushed to the server. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And the server being GitHub in this scenario. In this scenario, yes. And also the second step in that process would be to make a branch. So if you're if we're collaborating on a plugin and you pull in my latest changes and then you're now ready to go do a thing on your own that you want to incorporate into the plugin, that's where I would suggest you create a branch and work on that feature. And the reason is because you don't want to pull in changes that I may push to the main branch later and they overwrite what you've done or you end up again in a merge conflict. There are proper ways to merge and there's improper ways to merge. And that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> and there's a lot of strategy there. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. I think that's a good overview of, of how GitHub as a general concept is. Cause if you do any searching on the web, you will end up at GitHub if you're looking for any sort of software. Um, and so a lot of people probably like myself are familiar with GitHub, but don't realize the whole underlying structure of how Git as general technology works. Exactly. It's kind of like if you think about Git is sort of like Linux, right? There's there's one main Linux kernel that exists. Well, probably not one. I'm sorry, Linux people. I don't know anything. Um, but there's several flavors of Linux out there to get right. They're all Linuxes, but there's several different flavors because people have gone in and customized their own thing. Git itself is just a protocol. GitHub adds some more features on top of Git, uh, and they also give you a lot of graphical 
interface, they make the possibility of collaborating with remote people easier because you don't have to set up your own Git server and you're not emailing people zip files so they can unzip your, your <laughs> you know, you're not doing all of it. They add a lot of stuff to the top. And most people use GitHub simply because it became, I don't know if it's because they have Git in their name. So a lot of people ended up going there, but at some point they, they gained mindshare in the community of developers. So you will find a lot of stuff is on GitHub. Uh, even a lot of WordPress stuff is on GitHub, even though they don't internally they don't actually use Git for their version control, but they still mirror their stuff over to GitHub because they know people like me are going to go pull it down from GitHub, not try to go, deal with their track system because <laughs> i don't understand that like i look i have a hard enough time with git i ain't got time to yeah. be on or something different yeah. if you want me to look at it i'm going to use github uh, i'm going to run through these chats real quick and normally we won't do this but i do want you to encourage people listening that if you want to get involved then uh this might be something you can uh michael said one uh, uh, get add get commit uh two get commit three get push and then he said, get clone, and then the URL will make a uh, folder of the project that you're working on. He also said branching is essential for collaboration. Um, it is. Kind of like what you were saying. And he said, don't code in main branch, LOL. I need to make sure to throw that out there because he said that like three or four times now. and <laughs> I just haven't been able to get in there. But um, So I'm going to oh. say I agree with him except with a couple of caveats. And I'll, I'll give you Michael – be an example that you're familiar with. So, um, coding by no program, pro, that programming by stealth. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. In certain scenarios, it's okay to commit on your main branch because this is a personal project for you. Or if you're collaborating with someone, you're doing a thing on your end and then they're going to do a thing on their end and you've all worked that out. That's kind of how programming by stealth works. Like Bart goes in and puts in, you know, this week's work, uh, into the thing and then, uh, then Allison is going to, you know, go through that as he's walking us through whatever it is they're working on during the episode. Right. So in that case, it's OK. If you're working on a project by yourself or again, you know what the end result of this is going to be like, you know, that person is not going to be doing other th anything on the other end. It's OK not to branch. But generally in a more professional environment where you're collaborating and people are going to be making different changes to different things. Absolutely. Number one, never, ever, ever write on your main branch. Now, personally, I feel like you should never do it anyway, even if it's your own personal project, but I want to give people a little bit of breathing room. If you're jumping into this brand new, don't feel like you need to start understanding branching models because when I started, I did everything on the master branch because that's what it was. And that's what I understood. Mm -hmm. uh, but good practices it's are. a good practice to get into earlier rather than later but don't rather be overwhelmed by it like yeah like don't 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 let it stop you from getting started yes. especially if you're just tinkering around with it locally like yeah get comfortable with the basic git commands and i think maybe that's what branching. stopped me from it is i'm like i don't understand this branching thing i'm done i don't want to do it anymore yep so because branching can get very convoluted very quickly yeah. Yeah, but and, it and is I'll just look at the surface. I'm like, well, okay, where does this lead? Where does this lead? All of a sudden, three hours later, what did I just go learn about? Yeah, but in general, good practice, best practice we get is don't ever push to your main branch. Uh, I mean, don't ever commit on your main branch. You work on a feature branch. Like all of the WordPress sites that I have under version control, there are at least two branches at minimum for each one. Mm -hmm. There's a development branch and there's a main or production branch. 
Um, and you can name these how you want to. The default name in Git right now, I think, is main. The default in GitHub is main. Uh, it used to be master, uh, but they changed that a few years ago. Uh, you can name the branch whatever you want it to be, but you should have a branch that is production and you should have one that is for development. So for me, the development branch is where I do all the stuff that I'm doing. Even if I'm, if I'm installing a plugin, if I'm using composer on a website, for example, if I composer require, you know, um, delicious brain slash WP migrate DB pro or whatever, right? That's going to be done on my development branch. Yes, I do need that on my production site too, but it doesn't matter. I'm working on this. So therefore all of that goes on. And as soon as I do that composer require blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it successfully installs the plugin. I do a git commit all and add that. So, and the commit message says added the delicious brains migrate WP. Uh, DB plugin mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And again, that's because if I already have a, if I'm just starting, it seems like it's pointless, but I need to make sure I keep up because good habits only serve you if you keep doing them. Uh, so while I'm building a site or just launching a site locally, I hadn't even spun it up locally to even see a local install of the site yet. I still do those steps like that because at some point in the future, I'm going to do a composer update, blah, 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 plugin, and then something breaks. Well, if I committed that specific plugin uh, update or whatever update I've made to the site and I see it has broken something, one, I can just say, you know, roll back. I forget the command. I always have to go look it up. Uh, but I can revert back to the prior, prior previous commit uh, or to a specific point in, in the past to when I know it was working. Uh, that's why you always do stuff on a development branch. When I'm ready to push a site to staging is when I will switch over to the I will merge everything from development into the main branch because I will push from the main branch to staging. Because for me, there's development, there's staging, there's production. Development is where you work on stuff and you try to get it going. Staging is where you verify that this is going to work on the wider internet. And then production is, it's there and nobody touches that code at all. So for me, staging and production should mirror each other as close as possible. Which means if I run into an issue on a staging site, I don't go back to my main branch and fix it. I go back to to development branch. Yep. And then I merge it in. To the staging Yep, while merging into the main, then I push back to the staging site again and ah. make sure that I fixed it. Gotcha. Okay. There was a time where I used to do a development of staging in a main branch, and the reason I stopped doing that is because one, it was a bit of a headache, uh, and two, as I said, like I, I've come to really believe that your staging site should mirror exactly, so I should be able to push production ready code to my staging environment, and it should work. And if it doesn't work, then absolutely it can't go to production. And I don't ever push automatically. I can automatically push to staging. Like let's say if I merge development into my main branch, that can trigger automation that automatically deploys that new code to the staging environment. You never automatically deploy to production because, well, that's a bad idea. Because you never know. Somebody could be working on something and merge, and you could, whether it's you or somebody else, but you know, you're working on something in development, you merge it in because you verified it works in development and you verify and you merge it in. And well, now you just automatically trigger the push to your develop, your, your production site. So since I'm never going to automatically push, I only pull to production usually. Uh, I'm fine with those two branches. Uh, 
and that's that's more of a recent change for me. I still have some Git repos that have you know at least three branches because there's development, staging, and production. Uh, but that was back when I was foolishly trying to also automate the push to production thing. And like I said, I've discovered that's not a good idea because sometimes you know oh, the deployment worked, and then you get a call. My page isn't loaded. Oh crap! Yeah, Ew. but it's working on staging. What happened? I don't know. Oh, yeah. There's a thing that I forgot to do to the production server in order for this to work. Uh, yeah, fix that. So that's but that's Git and GitHub in a nutshell. Like I said, GitHub is just a remote server environment. Uh, it's just big, so everybody knows it. Uh, but it's it's important, I think, for people to understand that there's a difference in Git and GitHub. GitHub relies on Git, but Git does not need GitHub because there's Bitbucket or Gidea or, or your self-hosted open or your self-hosted server. You know, I mean, look, you don't really actually have to have any of these. Things. All all things like GitHub and Bitbucket give you is one a graphical interface on top of of a lot of the Git stuff that you can do because you can do merges and and commits and stuff like that in GitHub itself directly. Like you don't have to do this locally on your computer. You can do it on GitHub. Uh, I wouldn't do it because I don't feel like that web environment is very stable for a screen reader user. Uh, sometimes it's great, sometimes not so much. Plus, if anybody knows me, I like typing stuff into the terminal because I'm old. Uh, however, you uh, things like GitHub and Bitbucket allow you to also, again, make the process of collaboration on code easier. It also allows you to more easily put in automations such as code checks, you know, code verification. Uh, depending on where you are in the life cycle of your project, as well as the, you know, possibly the, 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 what you're paying for GitHub, if you're paying for it, you have the ability to do things like protect branches. So nobody can merge anything into the production branch until it's been signed off on by another person, right? So I can't just merge the changes into this main production branch to get this plugin ready to update in the WordPress repository until Mike looks at it and tests it and signs off on it. No matter what I do, can't do it. Right. But and that you know, and you see that in bigger you see that in organizations that people are working on. And I, I have implemented this in a few places where I've had somebody collaborating on a project with me. Uh even one project I worked on at one point several couple of years ago. Um I had somebody that was helping me, like they weren't working on the code. They were just kind of basically doing code review for me. So I set it up so that I could not, and this is my repo, like, I, but I set it up to protect Mike because this was a pretty big project. Uh, I set it up because this person was doing code review for me to make sure that any custom code I was writing for WordPress was actually valid and working and secure or whatever, because they knew way more about it than me, um, where I could not merge into the production branch until this person signed off on my code changes, which means they had to review what I had changed, you know, and sometimes that led to a little bit of hiccups or a little bit of delays because, you know, if I just updated a couple of plugins and wanted to merge those changes into the production site, I still had to wait for that person to sign off on this. Uh. Uh, But it protected me from making any mistakes by pushing bad code or, broken code that I didn't realize was broken because, you know, my testing, I don't have, I didn't have a test suite. I still don't really have a test suite. My tests are, let me see, I know what I changed. Let me go check the things that this would probably have broken. Oh, okay. Everything's fine, which has led to on, on occasion and Mike can verify this. He doesn't, he, he probably wasn't aware of the behind the scenes of it, but oh, 
I updated this thing or added this and everything seems to work fine to me based off what I've looked at. And then Mike looks at it on production or yep. Desiree looked at it on production. Like, wait, this part right here doesn't work on this band. I'm like, man, I didn't even look at that. <laughs> I always blame caching. It's always caching's fault. Just saying. Sometimes it is caching. Caching, uh, sometimes it is caching. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's getting GitHub, man. Uh, it's not hard. It seems very difficult. It can it be does. complex, but it's not complex to get started with. Um, I really can actually highly recommend, uh, I think starting at episode 100 of programming by stealth is when they start Git. And Bart does a great job of explaining it. He's stepping you through it week by week. So it's not like it's a whole big jumble of all the stuff. And he gets into branching strategies and all of that sort of stuff as well. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a good spot to uh start your journey and he even has some sample repos that you can download and play with locally and not have to worry about it actually causing any sort of problems for anybody uh, because there's nothing critical so appreciate that breakdown do you have anything else otherwise i have a question for you about our tip jar subscribers we'll give them a thanks and then wrap it up uh i think that's it for me this week man Okay, it's been it's been a different episode. It's been technically working. We've been this is what life is like with us sometimes. It's we don't know what's going on. We 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 get this random buzzing noise that for the most part I am going to edit out. So most of you listeners may only hear references to it or I might edit that out too. It just depends on my my mood. But we're still pushing through to get the thing done and and make sure that you guys have content. Um I've been thinking about I do a lot of these random pieces of content that if you didn't know about, or if you didn't follow me on Mastodon, you didn't know that I did uh, something. I don't remember what, oh, a Discord recording how to get into voice chat on Discord um, and just a random quick audio. So I think I'm going to start throwing those in our tip jar subscribers uh, audio and like the audio that you recorded today. We'll just give it to tip jar subscribers. We'll do something more permanent with it in the future, kind of like what we hinted at last week. And, and there's some some direction to go with that. But for now, start giving it to tip jar subscribers because then it's going somewhere and then we can pull it also into other systems. So I think that's what I'm going to start doing unless you have objections. You sent me another audio that I asked you if you cared if I shared and I never shared it and it's somewhere and I don't remember what it was. Does that ring a bell at all? Mm, nope. Okay. It doesn't because I'll okay. send you a lot of audio. Like I'm going to send you the audio of what I recorded today because I don't even have reprints installed yet. And I'd rather get this edited sooner rather than later. Don't feel a rush to do it, but uh, just when you get time to get to it. And it should be pretty straightforward. Uh, I did give you a couple of edit points uh, as I was going through because I explained something. And it was like, oh, no, actually, that's not that's not yet. Not, not yet. Next step is when we get to that part. Mm. Uh, but for the most part, it was pretty clean. It's only when I got, and I'll tell you exactly where to listen for things at too when you start editing uh, is when you get to the area of me talking about once I've rebooted, started the process of, of shutting down the Mac and then booting back into the recovery mode. Uh, there's a couple of things there and I, 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 you know, mentioned them in the recording for me was when I was doing, I was like, wait, I don't have Reaper set up. I should ask Mike to edit this because if I don't, it'll be another two weeks before I get Reaper installed and set up and configured and all of that. And I will have forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, We've we've got a lot of that type of audio. 
We we do have quite a bit. Of, well, we had because some of mine probably disappeared because I didn't. No, I'm sorry. I'm lying. I'm lying. Actually, is what I'm doing because Backblaze has been backing up, which I need to set that up because I have not set that up yet and uh, reclaim my backup. So uh, we can always pull stuff out if we need to do. But the audio I recorded today for the listeners is a walkthrough of me launching Audio Hijack for the first time and going through the process of setting up the uh, changing the security policy in the recovery mode to allow me to run the audio capture engine or ACE. And it's recorded from beginning to end. Uh, so you can hear the max audio clearly. You can hear me clearly. And if everything works out right, uh, we should be able to explode that track and Reaper and be able to edit out any glitches or unnecessary overtalk. Uh, yeah as I did that, but all of that has been recorded and all the way back to me booting back into Mac OS, giving the extensive permission to run, restarting the computer again, and then showing you that, Hey, now this is installed. And also look, I just also launched sound source and didn't need to go through that process again. Ah, ah, there you go. Sound source, a utility. Every Mac owner should have, man. Every Mac owner should have it. I'm telling you, every Mac owner should that's, have. It. That's how I'm able to know that yes, we are actually broadcasting, and I don't. It it doesn't bother me, even though it's a minute behind us or 45 seconds behind us. Yeah, love Sound Source, man. It's awesome, uh, and that's actually what prompted. What's actually what reminded me that I hadn't installed any audio hijack mm-hmm. tools because I went to go yep. switch. I hit my shortcut to bring yep. up audio. I mean, bring up sound source to switch my audio input, and I was like, "Oh crap!" All I right. hit that before I hit audio hijack every time. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. And then I went to you know back to the launch bar and CLI to open up the terminal and brew install sound source <laughs> audio hijack loop back. Because I was like, I ain't installed none of them. Like, yeah. get all of it done. And then yeah. that's when I came up with the idea to do the recording. Uh, so. Good. I'll be, it'll be fun to edit. And that'll probably go into the tip jar subscriber thing too. Honestly, at least for right now, just as a placeholder. And we'll move some of that. Because I, I don't even remember well, what the other audio was that you made. And I tried looking for it. The only thing I would say about the audio, adding audio, is, is think about our audience. So some stuff may not make sense for them. But, you know, that's fine to add it there uh, in most cases. And we'll probably, you know, in most cases, eventually release that that audio like that publicly somewhere, too. We're giving tip jar subscribers a here's what we'll do. We'll just go go with your plan. And I am requesting of our supporters. And thank you for being a supporter, by the way. Uh, If it's annoying to you and you don't like it and you really wish we would stop throwing random audio into the feed, uh, say something. Let us know. We'll, we'll adjust that. Uh, but it gives you something because uh, we both have plans to record more audio kind of tutorials or demonstrations of things. And we'll give it to you first. And then eventually at some point, probably release it publicly. Well, if, uh, if we're being honest, uh, it'll either end up in tip jar subscribers or Mastodon first. Because I have this habit of <laughs> recording something and saying, here you go, Mastodon. But I need a centralized place to put it. Because... Mastodon search sucks. <laughs> yeah, we got to get this server set up on digital ocean and uh, yeah, Elasticsearch. Yeah, I, 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 I'll talk to Michael about that because I've been talking to him lately. So, yeah, so I will. Uh, then I need to invite you to the Digital Ocean account so you can, uh, if you get a minute to go ahead and start <laughs> setting it up and uh, start setting it up, and we'll have our domain. 
Yes. Which I'm very excited about because it is beautiful. It's wonderful. I can't even believe it was available, but I got it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm surprised. Have you renewed it yet so you don't lose it? It, it hasn't come up for renewal uh, yet. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you went and put money behind it. I've, I'm trying to do that with some of my domains now. Yeah, I probably should do that because that's one I'm not going to Yeah, Michael, up. we will use you. I'm going to pick your brain tomorrow after I help Taylor with setting up this. By the way, did I ever mention this on the show? There's a set of Apple scripts that actually turn your CapSock key into a real CapSock key. So you can set it to... Uh, emulate an insert key, a capsock key, or you can have it be just the standard uh, macOS capsock key, I think it is. There's there's three or four different ones, but once you set it up and you get it configured, I can do capsock T to get the title in Windows, and I don't have to disable voiceover, and it just works. You don't have to find a, a loop, like a, a roundabout way of making that happen. And that's just really increased my productivity in parallels so uh taylor is having some issues with it so i told her on her live stream today that i'd help her later today well that did not happen because uh, i got busy cooking and life and stuff but tomorrow i will help taylor with that possibly with rim if she has rim and then uh so i can just go in and set it up for her and then i will pick your brain michael for getting that mastodon set up that was a long roundabout way of answering that question <laughs> So, do me a favor and drop me a link to those scripts again, because I'm. I'll just it's probably get messages, it. and then you can uh, put them where you want them. I have yeah. them right here. Uh, and that also reminds me of a thing: Are we able? This doesn't have to stay. And are we able? Are you able? Because I'm not at all. But are you able to at all change the shortcuts in Zendesk? No. The keyboard shortcuts, like uh, the Control-Alt-S and Control-Alt-P and stuff like that? Yeah. No. Those are set by Zendesk. Hold on, let me try a thing, though. Okay. Because I have gone back to using Control-Option for my uh, voiceover keys because I got tired of the caps lock acting like it was stuck. Mm. Which means I can't do those shortcuts in Zendesk without turning off voiceover. Uh, Can you set up an activity for that site, though? Mm, No, because it does not appear to be. Well, you know what? I should look in Sonoma because I'm actually. Oh, there's some news. I'm on Sonoma. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That is new. Wait, that is news. I didn't know that. I know. No, you didn't because I didn't tell you. Welcome to Sonoma. What do you think of it? Oh. Um, that anticlimactic. I mean, these widgets keep getting in my freaking way whenever I'm trying to go to notifications. V-O-N. Try to get into that habit more. Uh, I would do that. I haven't really done it. I've been so used to the V-O-O. Yep. But I will try that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. I have not actually even set up mail because I'm using Vimestream for all these Google accounts I got. Uh Sync seems to be better with my stream. It's irritating, but I'm considering it a tax write-off for the business because, you know, my business runs on Google. It's powered by Google, I tell you. <laughs> I promise you. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's actually been pretty decent. I have noticed some new options. And the reason I say hold on, because I may need to look and see if they've added new activities. I don't believe prior to this, though, when I looked at it, it was possible for me to have an activity switch what the voiceover keys were. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can, actually. 
Uh, but that may be different in Sonoma because there's also now a way to have voiceover give you play sounds to indicate, or I think you have an option to play sounds or have it speak, but uh, have it playing sounds to indicate uh, indentation when you're reading text. I read somewhere about that, but never thought that one through. That could be helpful for Python programming. Yes, sir, which is why I turned it on. And I'm using it. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's a lot more kind of customization to where you get feedback about things here than it was in whatever I was on. Ventura, I think. I don't know. Yeah. 13? Mac OS yeah. 13? Ventura. Uh, yep. Okay. okay. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I haven't noticed a ton. Okay. I did instantly switch my... I'm going to tell you, man. So we did a show. Actually, we'll do that in the after show. After show, it'll be a short one, but we'll have an after show for our supporters. So I want to thank all the people. First, thank you, listener, for listening. We really appreciate our supporters for maintaining their support of us through the tip jar. Again, if you want to support us financially, go to technicallyworking.show. And please do not try to put .com on the end of that. Thank you. Technicallyworking.show. Click on the link in the description of the show that says support us. And you can go to the tip jar and help us out there. We are not linking directly to the tip jar because, uh, well, if you listen to last week's show, you know, we're probably going to be changing that at some point yep. this year. So, uh, continue going to technically working dot show if you're interested in supporting us. And this way, when people go back and listen to our back catalog and like, Oh, you know, I've been listening to this show for 41 episodes. Uh, you know, I actually want to support these guys. Whatever I just told them to go to, we'll still take them where they need to go. Even though things will probably change, hopefully. by Even though things will have changed behind the scenes, but it'll still take them where they need to go. So technically working dot show is the place you want to go. Hey, hey, Uh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was all. Oh, man, I'm going to go and play with Celeste this week. Or not Celeste, uh, whatever that AI song making thing is and see what it. Oh, man. All right. (laughs) You just. Anyways. Uh, so thank you supporters uh, thank you even if you're not supporting us monetarily you're supporting us by listening and downloading the show we appreciate that because the downloads help and as we mentioned a couple of times we have passed 5,000 uh, and I'm going to let you know when we pass 6,000 because I'm going to look I know we're not there yet no I don't think we are yet but I, I haven't even no we're, we're not there yet yeah we're, we're not there yet we, we hadn't released enough shows Honestly, since we got to 5,000 to be at a whole other thousand, unless our download number seriously blew the hell up. And I think we might have heard from Matt if that happened. <laughs> so, again, appreciate everybody who listens. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, makes it worth it. It's why we show up every week, uh, honestly, because we want to keep delivering. Apparently, you're liking what we're doing, so we're going to keep doing it. Uh, you can reach us, feedback at technicallyworking.show uh, if you want to send us an email. You can follow us on Mastodon. He is Payon, P-A-Y-O-W-N, at unmute.community. I am Damasi, D-A-M-A-S-H-E, at unmute.community. And thanks for listening.